Friends, would you pray with me once more before we dig in? Father, your faithfulness is new every morning. And that includes a morning like this morning. That includes as we gather together under the name of Christ to hear of Christ from your word. To behold Christ in your word. To be brought to treasure Christ and be made more like him. You're faithful to work through your word to do that by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray now and ask for your help. Would you help us set aside the distractions of the week that would, that would pull our mind in a whole bunch of different directions and cause us to lose focus on your word? Would you open eyes that are blind and soften our hard hearts and unstop our deaf ears? Help us hear the word of Christ and be bound to him. Father, we are confident that you do this, that you honor the preaching of your word You honor our hearing. You honor your promise to work in us by these things through your spirit. And so we pray that you will do this and we are confident that you will. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen, friends. I can't tell you how many times I go to CrossFit for a workout and end up thinking about theology. It is fitting that Paul typically used the analogy of exercise and bodily training for different parts of the Christian life. One of the things that occurred to me this week as I was trying my best to exercise and thinking about this text is that I like a certain kind of workout and I find another kind of workout very, very difficult. The kind of workout I like at CrossFit is a burner. It's fast, quick, Speedy movements, movements that require quick bursts of energy, and it's done before you even know what hits you. So that you can go through the whole workout and find yourself laying on the ground afterwards, but there's no more to do. It's over. And that's good. I like that because it's over before I realize it's bad. But there's another kind of workout at CrossFit called a chipper, and it's not called chipper because it makes you happy. It's called chipper because the way you get through it is by slowly chipping away at the totals that you need to achieve for the exercise. There's, there's a CrossFit chipper that's famous, at least among CrossFitters, because they always talk about CrossFit. It's called Murph, and it is run a mile and then do 100 pull-ups and 200, or, excuse, 200 push-ups and 300 air squats and then run another mile. And that workout is the worst It's great. It takes about an hour, but it's terrible to do. It's not so terrible starting and thinking about it. Like I can think about it now and think, yeah, that sounds like fun. I think I could do that. It's not so terrible when you're in the last couple reps, but what's really terrible is when you get about halfway through it and then you realize you still have a whole nother half to go and what you've already done and you have no energy left for, you have to do again. And it's just hard. It requires endurance. Chippers are a kind of workout that requires endurance. And endurance is really hard. Paul uses this metaphor of exercise over and over because like the chipper, the Christian life and Christian ministry requires a kind of endurance. Remember, Paul is writing right now to Timothy, and he's writing to Timothy from prison 
where he's having to endure suffering, even suffering like he's never had to endure before, being bound with chains as a criminal, as he says. And he's inviting Timothy to say, he's saying, hey, Timothy, come and share in this suffering with me for the sake of the gospel, because this is what it takes to be a disciple who makes disciples. This is what it takes. It's like war. It's like a race. It's like farming, as we read about last time we studied second timothy timothy this call to entrust what you've been given to others who will entrust others is a chipper kind of ministry the pace that timothy has to run at is not a burner pace it's not a weekend rally and then he's done the pace of timothy's ministry is generational take what you've received and entrust it to others who will entrust it to others And that generational ministry that Timothy is called to requires endurance. And endurance is hard. This is true not just for Timothy and what Paul is calling Timothy to. Because as we saw, the same call that goes out to Timothy, Timothy share in suffering for the sake of the gospel, is the call that goes out to all of Christ's followers. All of us are called to be apprentices to Christ Jesus. And that means sharing in his suffering for the sake of the gospel. And that suffering requires endurance. And endurance is hard. In the midst of the Christian life, as we walk, we walk not so much at the very start or at the very end most of the time, but we walk in the hardest parts, right in the middle. When we've maybe walked through pain and suffering, being faithful to Christ for a while. And yet we have some still to go. We see this all the time when we encounter things like chronic illness that we have no control over and no end in sight. Or as we walk through hard family circumstances that there's just no easy fix for. Or as we try to minister to our friends who don't know Jesus and we see it seems no progress. The Christian life requires endurance And endurance is hard. Paul knows this intimately. And so his aim in writing what he writes this morning, his aim is to exhort Timothy to the kind of endurance that is required and to encourage Timothy how he is to endure. Paul gives Timothy four encouragements or four groundings for his enduring. Four reasons to endure. Four ways to endure everything that's what we're going to look at today is those four things starting in verse eight verse eight paul writes this remember jesus christ risen from the dead the offspring of david as preached in my gospel remember jesus christ risen from the dead the offspring of david as preached in my gospel paul calls timothy To endure because of what God has done in the past. Paul is calling Timothy to endure because of the picture of Jesus' endurance. Represented there when Paul says, remember Jesus Christ. Remember him risen from the dead. Remember him as the offspring of David. Paul is calling Timothy to remember something in Timothy's past. Timothy's closer to when Christ died and rose again. But that's still in his past, right? Remembering what God has done in Jesus. 
Paul wants him to remember a few things. This is why he calls out Jesus risen from the dead and Jesus the offspring of David. First of all, he wants Timothy to remember that Jesus risen from the dead means Jesus had died. Right? And that means that Jesus, in following the will of his father, endured all the way to death. Okay, Paul doesn't have to say, Jesus doesn't really know what it's like to continue obeying God until it costs you his li- your life. Because he's done that. He's endured all the way to the point of death. Not only did he endure all the way to the point of death, but he did so as a fellow human being. That's what Paul's calling out when he says, when he says, remember Jesus Christ, the offspring of David. He's pointing out there Jesus' humanity. Jesus was the offspring of David, the promised son of David, who would sit on David's throne as a human being. Jesus is both divine and human, and his endurance in this life was in light of his humanity. This means, since Jesus endured as a human, that endurance was hard for him. It was hard for him. But Jesus did endure all the way to death. And not only did Jesus endure all the way to death, but remember, Timothy, Jesus is risen from the dead. And so he conquered death. In conquering death, Jesus conquered the greatest enemy of endurance. Because all of us can endure something, but none of us can endure death, right? That will get us in the end. There's nothing you can do to overcome that. Christ has overcome that in enduring all the way to death and in rising being risen from the dead jesus conquered death this greatest enemy of endurance and so these three things jesus enduring all the way to death and doing it as a human and then conquering death these combine to timothy and to us to encourage us to endure how do these things encourage timothy and us to endure the first way is that jesus knows that endurance is hard. And because he knows that endurance is hard, he is able to sympathize with you and with me, right? Hebrews 4 talks about Jesus as this perfect high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are, and yet without sin, and he is therefore able to sympathize with us in our weakness. And able to offer the perfect mercy and grace that comes from the sinless one. Jesus is able to sympathize with you in your weakness So much so that he knows much better than you how hard it is to endure. C.S. Lewis uses an example in Mere Christianity where he says, you've got people walking against a blowing wind. And eventually as the wind picks up and the storm rages, people will quit fighting against it, right? The harder the wind blows, the more likely you are to quit fighting against it. The only one who knows how hard it is to fight against the wind is the one who walks all the way and never quits. Jesus endured perfectly to the point of death and he knows, therefore, how hard it is to resist sin, to resist temptation. He knows how hard it is to resist discouragement and despair. He knows how hard it is to endure. And he's able to sympathize with you in your weakness. So you have no reason to say Jesus does not know what it's like because he does. As the one who is perfectly able to know what it's like, he also knows how to endure. 
And he shows us in his example how to endure. You see, Jesus enduring as a human being, the son of David, endured the same way we are called to endure. How is that? Jesus, just like us, relied on God's Holy Spirit, right? We see in the Gospels the Spirit descend on Christ and remain there. And as Jesus walked in obedience to his Father all the way up to death, he did so by the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. And that same Spirit then he sent to dwell in you and I. So that means that the same power that enabled Jesus to obey, to walk faithfully, to endure, is the power that dwells in you and I because of him. And it's that power that turns our hearts to do what Jesus did, which is trust the promises of his father. Right? He heard the will of his father and he believed his promises and he walked accordingly. That's what Christ did in enduring all the way to death on the cross. He trusted the promises of the father. Jesus knew the kind of suffering that awaited him much better than you or I know the kind of suffering that awaits us. Don't, didn't he? He knew the plan of his father ended in the cross. And yet he still walked in obedience because he trusted the promises of his father. That God would vindicate his sacrifice by raising him from the dead. He trusted the plan of the father that this was the way to save the world. We too can learn to trust as we see and follow Jesus' example. Jesus knows that our endurance is hard and he shows us how to endure and that's what paul wants timothy and us to see endure the ministry set before you by remembering what god has done not only that but endure the ministry set before you by remembering what god is doing that's where paul goes next what god is doing look at verse 9 Paul says this. He's talking about his gospel in verse 8. And he says, For which I am suffering, for this gospel, I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul endures everything because the word of God is enduring and still at work. God's work through his word continues. Paul says he suffers for the sake of the gospel, right? Verse 9, why I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul's suffering requires endurance, right? It makes the endurance necessary. And it also makes the endurance hard. I cannot imagine being bound in chains in a Roman prison. It was not a pleasant place. They were not nice jails like we have now. This was a dark dungeon. Full of despair. Full of loneliness for Paul. Full of discouragement. His circumstances called for endurance and made endurance hard. But his circumstances did not make endurance impossible. What he looked to was not his circumstances. But he looked to what God was still doing. Even in spite of his circumstances. That's when he says, or what he means when he says, I'm bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. 
You see, Paul's suffering bound him, but it could not bind the word of God. The word of God was still active and at work through Paul, through those churches he had planted, through Timothy. The word of God was still moving and working and accomplishing God's purposes. The word of God could not be bound by Paul's circumstances. And if you think about it, it makes sense, right? The word of God we think of as the scriptures, which is true. And the testimony of Christ, which is true. But in John 1, we read that Jesus himself is the eternal pre-existent word of God. And so even though Paul is bound in prison, Jesus, the word of God, is not bound and is still working. Jesus is risen and reigning. He has conquered death and he is at work through Paul, through Timothy, through the church at Ephesus, through all of his people to build his church, to bring his saints to come to know him. He is at work doing these things. And so Paul remembers that. And therefore, he says in verse 10, therefore, because the word of God is not bound, I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Because the word is not bound, Paul endures everything for the sake of the elect. Now, you might be wondering, I was, why would Paul need to endure for the sake of the elect if they're the elect? God's sovereign will will not fail to bring them to himself. So why does Paul need to sit in a dark prison? Why was it necessary that Paul endure this kind of suffering for the sake of people who will be saved whether he does or not? Is how the thinking goes, right? The fact that Paul endures for the sake of the elect shows that his endurance matters. Even though God is sovereign and will save his elect people. Paul's endurance actually has a part in that. We read about in Romans 10, right? The people that faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God, right? And how will they hear unless someone preaches? And how will they preach unless they are sent? We read about that in Romans, that God chooses to save his elect, bring them into the salvation and eternal glory, as Paul says, through people telling them about Christ, not through some magic snap of the fingers. So Paul's endurance, Paul's continuing testimony actually matters. And what was happening as Paul was imprisoned various times is that the word of God was actually flourishing and still at work. He talks in Philippians, remember, when we, if you can remember, all the way back to Philippians 1. When we went through, we saw that Paul told, uh, that, that, that Paul wrote that what had happened to him had actually served to advance the gospel. In that many of his fellow brothers and sisters were becoming more bold to proclaim the name of Christ. To endure for the sake of Christ because they saw Paul enduring. See, Paul's testimony said, Jesus, this gospel that I preach, Christ risen and reigning, the son of David, the promised one, this is actually worth staking your life on. This is more important than your life. This leads to eternal joy and happiness and eternal life. So Paul's testimony testified that the gospel is worth it. Paul's endurance was necessary even for the elect. 
If you doubt it still, think about what we're reading right now. We're reading a letter that was written by Paul from prison because he was enduring to continue to obey God and to continue to be a minister of the gospel to Timothy. He was writing to Timothy and for the church at large. For our sake, we benefit from Paul's endurance even now as we read this letter. And countless others across the centuries have benefited from Paul's endurance. Countless others of the elect have benefited because Paul endured. So it is worth it for Paul. This encourages Timothy and encourages us to endure as we think about these things. Because we see, first of all, that our circumstances... Our circumstances are not determinative for whether God is working. How easily do we think that our circumstances or our present suffering means God is unable to work in this circumstance, right? All the time. All the time. We so easily look at what's happening in front of us and we say, I guess I got to wait until after that's done for God to work. I can't see how God could possibly work through this. It's easy as a parent To get discouraged in this way, isn't it? We talked last week about kids in the worship service and how easy it is to be discouraged at the way they make noise and the way they make it hard to pay attention sometimes and all those kind of things, right? But we also talked about the way God is still working in them as they hear the word and as they see their parents faithfully worshiping. God forms their little hearts. To understand more of him through that. He does it as we faithfully show our children what it looks like to follow Jesus in the everyday circumstances of life. As we continually hope in Christ, our kids' little hearts are being formed to hope in Christ too. Even though our circumstances seem like, I don't really know if I have a a ministry right now. You do, parents, you do. We can feel this way in our personal Bible reading. As we approach God's word and we... Fine, we're in numbers again, which I'm reading through right now in my Bible reading. It's sometimes discouraging to read a long list of genealogies, but God is still working through his word to shape my heart to know more of him. And he does that for every one of us as we approach his word with expectations. Our circumstances do not determine whether God is at work. God's word And his faithfulness to work through his word determines whether he is at work. And he is always at work. If we believe this, friends, then we will be freed from the tyranny of the need for immediate results. We live in a microwave culture that wants it now. Would rather have, would rather have some ramen than a smoked brisket. Because we don't want to wait. But smoked brisket is better. Right? I think so anyway. It's better And trusting that God is at work enables us to wait for the better instead of crave immediate fulfillment. It frees us from the tyranny of the urgent. So friends, endure because of what God has done. Endure because of what God is doing. That's what Paul wants us to do. Endure because of what God is doing and endure because of what God will do. Look where he goes next in verse 11. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. 
If we deny him, he also will deny us. We'll get to verse 13 in a moment, but I want to look at those first. Think about what God will do. Paul says he endures because God will judge. God's judgment endures and therefore Paul endures. First of all, he says God rightly rewards. God rightly rewards those who endure. In second half of verse 11, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we die with him, when Paul's talking about that, he's not talking about physical death itself there. He's talking about the Romans 6 kind of daily dying to ourselves, sharing in Christ's death, so that we daily live to Christ, sharing in Christ's life. Right? It's the kind of daily dying to ourselves that Jesus is talking about when he says, pick up your cross and follow me. As we endure this hard thing, and it is hard to deny ourselves, as we endure that, by dying to ourselves, we will live with Christ. God promises to reward those who endure in that daily, that you daily will have fresh joy and life in Christ, empowerment to face the trials that come. Not only that, but God promises future and future glory for those who endure, right? Verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. Paul talks a little bit later in second Timothy verse four about or excuse me, chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, about his expectation of ruling with Christ. He says in verse 6 of chapter 4, I am ready to be already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved is appearing. There is a crown of righteousness that awaits Paul and all who have loved Christ's appearing. All who endure will reign with Christ in glory. There is reward for endurance. Likewise, friends, Paul says there is just punishment for those who fail to endure by denying Christ. That's what he says in verse 12, the second half. If we deny him, he also will deny us. God will righteously punish those who deny him. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew and in the other gospels. But listen to what he writes in Matthew or says, listen to what Matthew writes down in Matthew 10 verses 32 to 33. Jesus says this, everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my father who is in heaven. Paul here is warning Timothy and warning us that if we deny Christ, Christ will deny us. There is just judgment to come. God will judge justly and if we deny his son he will deny us this is a denial in both word and action it's a failure to be an apprentice of jesus it's turning away from christ turning towards the world 
and running headlong into destruction. It's a real warning for us. Even though Paul is talking about election, for the sake of the elect, he says, it's still a real warning for all of us. This is what Jesus describes when he gives the parable of the soils. And you remember some, some grows up quickly, but the sun and the heat of persecution burn it out because it had no root. And some grows up, but the thorns of the cares and the love of the world choke it out. That's what Jesus warns about. It's not just that everybody who hears the gospel and doesn't respond will just, just has it taken away. Some hear and respond, but they lack endurance. They deny the son who bought them. And so they are denied. Knowing this, believe it or not, helps Timothy and us endure. Knowing this helps us endure because we knowing that God will judge causes us to live in light of eternity. We live in a world that catechizes us, right? We're doing catechisms right now. Our world catechizes us to live for now. To live like this is the only life we have and to ignore as best as possible our mortality. Because a world that doesn't know Christ is terrified of being mortal. So our world catechizes us to live for now, but the knowledge that God will judge causes us to live in light of that knowledge, in light of eternity. Knowing that God will judge and that he will judge justly also assures us. Matthew Henry, in commenting on this passage, says God is both faithful to his threatenings and faithful to his promises. The fact that God is faithful to his threatenings and faithful to his promises assures us that our endurance is not in vain. That we don't have to wonder if we'll do all this hard work of enduring and then there'll be no reward. No promise of life at the end of it all. It'll all have been pointless and we should have just taken the easy path. You see, we're tempted to deny Christ. We're tempted to walk away from the suffering that we know will come at following Christ. Because we're tempted to love the world. We're tempted to love our own comfort. We're tempted to want to avoid suffering at all costs. But the certain knowledge that God is faithful to his threatenings and faithful to his promises assures us that endurance is worth it, even though it's hard. So Paul says, endure because of what God will do. He will judge. Endure because of what he has done. Endure because of what he is doing. Endure because of what he will do. And last but not least, endure because of what he can't do. And friends, this is the highlight of the passage. This is where it all comes to a point. Paul himself is putting a giant exclamation point on this for us, if we can see it. Look at verse 13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Paul is putting a giant exclamation point on this for Timothy by breaking his pattern. 
Notice, if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. They correspond to one another. And what we expect is if we are faithless, he also will be faithless. But that's not what happens, right? If we are faithless, verse 13, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Paul endures because God's faithfulness to himself endures. There's some debate about whether Paul intends this as a warning or a comfort. Think about it this way. It could be a warning to us. It could be if we are faithless, even though we break our word. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He will keep his word and he will judge. So don't think that because you are fickle and you change directions, God will be fickle and he'll he'll call it fine in the end and he'll just sweep it under the rug. No, he will judge those who deny Christ. He will deny you. That's one way to think about this as a warning. And I think it's a legitimate reading of the text. And it's possible that's what Paul means. But I tend to think Paul means it more as a comfort and an encouragement to Timothy. I think Paul means it like this. If we are faithless, if we fail, if we in our finiteness and in our frailty, if we fail, we are finite and frail, but Jesus is not. He remains faithful because he can't deny himself. He cannot deny himself. I think this is the kind of comfort that Paul wants to extend. And I think that because of what I see in Peter's story in the Gospels. You remember Peter? Jesus says to him in Luke 22, verses 31 to 34. He says, Simon, Simon, Simon Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Now Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I am ready to endure the suffering that awaits me. What did Jesus say? Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny me three times. Until you deny three times that you know me. Peter denied Jesus and yet was not denied by Jesus. Why is that? Because Peter was faithless. But then what did Jesus say? I've prayed for you so that your faith may not fail. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter, I know you are going to be faithless to the point of denying me before men three times before the rooster crows. And yet, when you turn, because my spirit is still at work in you, I have prayed for you. So when you turn, turn and strengthen your brothers. When you turn is key there in understanding, I think, what Paul means here in 2 Timothy 2. The difference between denying Christ, as in verse 12, if we deny him, he will deny us. And being faithless towards Christ, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. 
is in how we turn, what we do afterwards. Those who deny Christ will turn away from Christ. And when they realize they are turning away from Christ, they will turn further away from Christ because they want nothing to do with Jesus. Those who are faithless, when they realize they have been faithless, will turn not away from Christ, but will turn to Christ. Right? That's what we do as sinners. That's what we do as those saved by grace. When we fail, we turn towards Christ. And He is faithful. Because He cannot deny Himself. That's a comfort for those of us who are too weak to endure, isn't it? Christ cannot deny Himself. What this means... Think about for a sec what Jesus can't do. It's not often in the Bible that it's spoken about Jesus in a way that says this is what he can't do. He cannot deny himself. What that means is Jesus can't turn away from those who turn to him. Right? In John 6.37, he says, All who come to me I will not cast out. He can't turn away from those who turn to him. Jesus can't lose those who take shelter in him. John 6, 39. He says that all the Father have given me, he will lose none of them. Jesus can't deny himself. And what is his heart, his very self? It's to save sinners who turn to him. It's to save, to extend mercy, to extend grace, to extend forgiveness for all those who turn to him. Jesus can't help but extend this kind of mercy and grace. So friends, it is a tremendous encouragement to us towards endurance to remember what God cannot do, which is deny himself. He can't deny this character. This means that endurance for us is not ultimately about how strong we are, how mentally tough we are, how well prepared we are. Endurance for us is about Our willingness to turn towards Christ. When we have failed because of our frailty, when we are faithless, we continually turn to Jesus because he is the one who endures. He is the one who remains faithful to himself. This means that what we read about in verse 12, if we endure, we will also reign with him. That's not A works-based model. It doesn't say you endure and then you earn this reward that is your salvation. It says the reason we can endure in a way that leads to reward is because of the grace of Christ. It comes from the enduring grace of Jesus that's given to us as a gift. You might be tempted to think that this nullifies our need for faithfulness, right? If, Jesus, if all it takes is turning to Jesus, then why don't I just do whatever I want? And then I'll just turn to him once in a while and it'll be good. Right? God forbid we think like that. Do you think Peter would think like that? Do you think he wanted to deny Christ? Do you think he was happy that happened? No, he was heartbroken. He went away with tears. Why? Not because he thought, I've denied Jesus and now he's going to deny me. Why was he heartbroken? It's because he had hurt the one that he loves. 
He had hurt the one that he loves. See, we endure because we love Christ and what he loves. And we love Christ and what he loves because he first loved us. And so we strive to be faithful. We strive to endure. Not because we're trying to prevent being denied. But because we long to please the one who loves us. Because we love him. The ultimate rest of our endurance, friends, is in Christ Jesus. In what he has done. In what he is doing. And in what he will do. And in what he can't do. That's our only hope for endurance. Our only hope for endurance in life and death is what? That we are not our own, but belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Savior, Jesus Christ. All those who belong to Christ, he will bring to endurance. And if that's you, then you can bank on that promise. And therefore work, work hard to endure in the grace of Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, it is precious hope that you have given us. That you cannot deny yourself. And that your very heart longs to extend mercy and grace and kindness towards us. We who are so often faithless. We who long to be faithful but find our own frailty and weakness. So often, too much to overcome. Jesus, I pray that for each one of us in here, you would work in our heart the resolve to continually turn towards you, to find our rest in you, our hope in you, to find comfort in knowing that it is not we who hold ourselves fast, but it's you who hold us fast. Jesus, you are our only hope in life and death. I pray that you would cement that truth down deep into us. And that would be our testimony as we go out from here. As we go out into the world that we would testify. That the only hope that we have for endurance is belonging to you. These are great mysteries that you've given us. Mysteries that will take us a lifetime to learn. I pray that you would continue to work By your spirit, we know you will. So we ask you to do what you already promised to do, trusting that you will do it. Amen.